Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much more. On her radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration law or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration Tuesdays at 10 a.m. on Daisy 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM here to talk immigration for the next half an hour. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today is September 5th, 2017, Tuesday. And if you have a child that is going to school for the first time today, congratulations. Uh, it's the first day of the school um, uh, school season and my five-year-old actually started school today as well. So it's been an exciting morning at our the Watson household to get out, out on time and make sure that backpack is packed. Child is excited. I could see the nervousness in her face, <laughs> but it was all very, very fun and wonderful. Bittersweet too. My baby has now grown up to go to a real school. Um, so if you have a school child, congratulations and good luck with the school year. Um, if you are new to the show, this is Tamina Talks Immigration. We talk about immigration issues only and talk to people who have um, made a difference in immigration issues or are notable immigrants themselves. Um, we have a Facebook page, uh, Tamina Talks Immigration Radio Show. On Facebook, um, often we have live shows, so please sign up to that page if you haven't already, where we share updated news as well. If you just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks, Immigration on Desi 1250 AM. So I have a, a, a news update for you. Uh, it's not good news, unfortunately. Uh, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival Program that started in 2012 um, was ended today with a six-month time uh, period to it. Um, 800,000 uh, young adults in the U.S. are DACA recipients with work permits and permission to stay in the U.S., and that permission has now been rescinded, but it will not take uh, effect for another six months, March 5th, 2018. Next week's show will be dedicated to DACA only, so tune in then to talk, to hear more about what it is, uh, what it means and what it means for you and what it means for the future. Um, but also please sign up to the Facebook page because there will, will be a lot of information and news updates between now and next week that you must pay attention to if this issue affects you. Um, we also have movie ticket giveaways for, for Hero to Go. If you are a regular listener, you'll know that is my favorite show. Uh, please make sure you sign up to the Facebook page so you can um, interact with us and get the latest news on that. For Hero to Go, we have 20 tickets to give away. If you connect with us by email or Facebook, um, the Facebook page, you'll be able to get that those tickets. And of course, if you um, call into the show next week, you'll be able to uh, win some tickets. Um, we do have a, a, a surprise guest for you to this morning before we talk uh, to our other guest that was on the blog post. Um, I want to introduce you to Katrina G from Culture Shakti. She was actually on our show in the past talking about uh, P3 visas and uh, we have a special event for you. So do we have Katrina on the line? Yes, hi. Katrina. Hi, Katrina. How are you? 
I'm great. How are you? Good. It's so good to speak with you. Please, please tell us about the listeners about this event coming up. Yes, um, I also have Imamadin here with me and the rest of the band. Oh, hi there, rest of the band. How are you? Good, and thank you very much that uh, you're helping for our P3 visa. Of course. Good Harvard visa. We are very grateful to you. And I'm very thankful on behalf of our artists, uh, Feroz Khan, Jalal Khan, Tagaram, Junaid Yunus, Katnaji, and Rajasthani Karwal. We're very thankful to for your great help. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to help you. Tell tell the listeners about the event coming up. When is it? So it's this Saturday, September 9th. It's at the Rainier Arts Center. It used to be called the Rainier Valley Cultural Center. So it's right off the I-90. It's uh, in the Columbia City neighborhood. So we're going to have a full two-hour show of Rajasthani folk music and dancing. Wow, that's fantastic. What time does it start? Uh, doors open at 6.30 and show runs 7 to 9. And uh, we still have plenty of advanced tickets available. They're only uh, $12 for students and seniors and 19 uh, for general. And kids five and under are free. Fantastic. How does a listener get one of those tickets? Uh, through brown paper tickets. So how do you, do you have a website you can spell out for us or tell us? Yes, it's rajasthanicaravan.com. It's R-A-J-A-S-T-H-A-N-I-C-A-R-A-V-A-N.com. So I'm going to repeat that for you. It's rajasthanicaravan.com. R for Romeo, A for Apple, J for Jug, A for Apple, S for Sugar, T for Tommy, H for Horse, A for Apple, N for November, I for Ink, and then caravan.com. And there will be a link here for the tickets? Yes, there's a link there. And if people are having a hard time with (laughs) that spelling, it's also on cultureshakti.com. Cultureshakti, that's S-H-A-K-T-I.com. Correct. Fantastic. So, September 9th, Saturday, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., go to rajasthanicaravan.com to get your tickets. They're $12 for students and seniors and $19 general. Uh, Thank you so much, Katrina, for joining us today. Thank you for the entire band for joining us today. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime soon. Good luck with the show. And thank you again. Uh, Hopefully, listeners uh, will turn up and give us some feedback. Take care then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was Katrina G from Culture Shakti talking about the Rajasthani Caravan show that will come up on September 9th. If you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration with uh, Desi 12.50 a.m. We have a wonderful guest lined up for you, and I cannot wait for you to speak with her. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about her, but please check out our blog post for her full bio uh, uh, bio. Shiza Shahid is an in- entrepreneur, investor, speaker, and wa- women's rights advocate. She is passionate about leveraging philanthropy, venture capital, technology, and the media to drive scalable social impact. Shiza co-founded the Malala Fund, while Nobel Prize winner Malala Yousafzai, and led the organization as founding CEO. She is now focused on supporting mission-driven startups whose financial success makes the world a better place through her seed stage VC fund and platform Now Ventures. She is the host of the new USA TV show Aspirist. Shiza grew up in Pakistan. Uh, she graduated from Stanford University with a distinction. She was a business analyst with McKinsey 
and Company, and she's also a graduate of Singularity University. She's a prominent speaker. She's the award recipient of Times 30 Under 30 World Changer, Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneur, and many other awards. She's been featured on Forbes, Fast Company, L, and many, many other notable publications. She's a welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course, thank you so much for making some time for us today. Really, really appreciate it. And our listeners are really anxious to hear from you. It's just been uh, wonderful to have you here. Um, Did you have a good weekend? I did, I did, and I'm honored to be on the show. You know, I admire the work that you do very much. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm really grateful. You know, I have so much to ask you and we have very little time, so I'm going to just dive into it. So Shiza, in this very young life that you've had, um, you have accomplished so much. It's just amazing. But people know you mainly from the Malala Fund. um, And uh, many listeners may not know the background to this story. Um, Tell us a little bit about it and what you've done with the fund so far. Sure, sure. Um, I'll share a little bit of my personal involvement with Malala and her father um, and the movement that we built together. So uh, going back a little bit, I grew up in Pakistan. I was born into a pretty modest, self-made family. I was growing up in Islamabad, the capital, at a time when there were significant challenges in the country, social challenges, political challenges. It was a post-9-11 world, so regional security was declining. There was rising terrorism. There was a military dictatorship. Um, you know, it's ranked currently the second worst place to be born a woman, have the second highest number of children out of school. And, you know, it's not all dire. I know in the West, uh, people like to paint um, places uh, without their nuance. Um, you know, I also had a wonderful childhood filled with love and uh, tradition and culture. And um, But I was also very aware of these challenges um, in the country. And so I, at a young age, became very passionate about trying to understand what was happening around me and play a role in making a difference, and it sounds strange, uh, but, you know, starting age 13, I was spending my afternoons volunteering in women's prisons and refugee camps. In uh, um, There was a massive earthquake in Pakistan. I did a lot of work in disaster relief, um, and then I was uh, helping stage protests. I was getting young people out onto the streets to protest uh, government policies that I thought were against uh, civil liberties and human rights. Um, and I ended up at 18 getting a scholarship to Stanford, which was not part of the plan. I just naively Googled top 10 schools in the U.S. thinking I should apply somewhere to college. <laughs> you know, couldn't afford to pay, asked for a full scholarship, not knowing any better, and, and ended up getting one. And so moved to Palo Alto. And um, while I was in uh, Palo Alto, the, uh, there was there's a town in the north of Pakistan called the Swat Valley. It's somewhat remote. Um, it's... Uh, uh, closer to the Afghanistan border, and um, it was uh, hit by an insurgency with a terrorist group linked to the Taliban, and that group turned violent and uh, began to blow up girls' schools. And in January 2009, I declared an all-out ban on girls' education in the Swamp Valley. And so here I was uh, at the time a sophomore at Stanford University getting this um, <clears throat> incredible education for free. And Girls 300 miles from where I had grown up were being told they couldn't go to school. And um, you know, there were these incredible voices within the Swamp Valley that were trying to speak up. But it was very hard to get news out of the Swamp Valley. Journalists weren't quite able to get good access. It was very dangerous. And, you know, it was a fairly remote part of the country. So people on the inside had never been deeply well connected to uh, the outside world. 
And so I thought maybe there was something that I could do to help. And I went back to Pakistan that summer and I created a secret summer camp. And I brought out 27 schoolgirls from the Swat Valley to Islamabad. And my goal was to help them tell their stories in a way that would resonate with the world so that people with influence would be moved to intervene, reestablish law and order, and reopen girls' schools. So essentially, what would the world have done um, if Anne Frank's diary had reached the world while she was alive? Um, and, you know, um, one of those little girls at that summer camp was Malala. Um, she was 11 at the time that I first met her, 12 um, at that summer camp. And um, after the summer camp, the girls got to go back to school around that same time the government intervened in the Swamp Valley, reopened girls' schools, and Malala and her friends got to go back to school. And I stayed in touch, and um, I continued down my path of um, working in human rights, working in entrepreneurship. And then four years after that, Malala was shot. Um, and I was obviously personally very devastated and flew in to be with her and her family, and um, miraculously, as we all know, she recovered. And as she recovered, people started to call us and say, how can we help? We want to do something. Um, we're really outraged that something like this can happen, that in the 21st century, a girl can be shot in the head simply for wanting to go to school. And so I started to take those requests to Malala and her father and say, what should I tell people to do? And they said, well, we're fine. You should tell them to help the other girls. And so that really was the beginning of this um, movement that we built, which was, now, how do we tell Malala's story in a way that um, resonates? But it's not about her story. It's really about uh, the millions and millions of girls around the world who are denied an education and what could they achieve if they were given an education. And then as that story really began to resonate with people all around the world, we thought, well, we have to have a real plan that we're driving people towards. How can they help? How can they participate? And that led to the idea of creating the Malala Fund. And so... I had the privilege of creating that organization with Malala and her father and serving as a founding CEO and two and a half years later being at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony with them and, and really witnessing how the world changes when um, a girl is given um, the opportunity to, to use her voice and to get an education. Wow, you know, as you were saying that story, my I've been getting goosebumps. Uh, you know, you yourself, if she was 11, you were a very young girl yourself. And to have the, the um, you know, foresight uh, and the courage to do what you've done is actually amazing. Uh, you're, you are an inspiration. You know, we, if you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration. We are talking with Shiza Shahid, who is a co-founder of Malala Fund and Now Ventures. You know, we I would love to talk more about the Malala Fund, but I have so much more to ask you. Um, I hope you will come back on the show sometime in the future again, and especially if you're in Seattle, I'd love to have you on the show in person. I want to move on to talk about the Now Ventures. Um, you are, of course, an entrepreneur at heart and have co-founded another organization, Now ventures tell us about it how did it come about yeah absolutely so as i um, and, and thank you for all the kind kind words um you know i the first time i lived in the u.s was in silicon valley at the age of 18 because i got a scholarship to be at stanford and um it wasn't part of the plan and growing up in pakistan i'd never really heard the word entrepreneurship there wasn't much of a ecosystem and then finally i was in the heart of the tech ecosystem and all of my classmates wanted to be entrepreneurs and I was witnessing technology companies changing the way that we lived. And I thought, you know, here I've been on the ground doing grassroots work kind of brick by brick. 
but maybe there's a more scalable way to impact change. And I had become frustrated by um, the inefficiencies of the nonprofit sector. And I thought, you know, maybe in certain cases, in certain industries, entrepreneurship, when it has a deeper sense of mission and purpose, is actually more effective, right? I mean, who would have thought mobile phones would be providing access to healthcare and to education in rural parts of Kenya um, when the mobile phone was still was, was first developed? Um, but it's been one of the most empowering tools um, in international development. Um, and so after um, my journey with Malala, when I felt uh, strongly that, you know, she was in a good place, that, um, you know, this movement um, had really taken on a life of its own in, in a way that was beneficial to her and to the world. Um, I moved back to Silicon Valley and I decided to start a early stage venture fund. And the premise is essentially to find other bold change makers like Malala um, who have a big idea to change the world, but this time rooted in scalable business models. So we're really believers that you cannot talk about uh, changing and improving philanthropy without talking about reforming capitalism because the bulk of um, impact is driven by the financial markets and is driven by businesses. So how does my generation take what we have learned about what works in capitalism but help make it more uh, mission-driven, more purpose-driven, more equitable, more fair, more just. And so the companies that we're investing in are early-stage tech companies uh, that we believe will change an industry and in the process create a massive impact. So, um, you know, think now of the Teslas um, of the world, um, but with us investing in the early stage so that they can actually get to that, that point. And the other piece of this that's important is, you know, there's been a lot written about how Silicon Valley has very little diversity. And the reason that this matters even more is when you're an investor, you're investing in individuals, right? Investors will say, yeah, I, I can look at a, an entrepreneur and recognize talent. Um, and when you have a very homogenous network of people in Silicon Valley controlling capital, it's very hard to... Um, find great entrepreneurs who are diverse, who are female, who have different backgrounds and different perspectives, um, and help them get funded. And so that means that you have women and people of color not getting funded, which is unjust in itself, but it also means you have an entire universe of solutions and ideas that probably aren't being born. Um, and so to me, this is a real opportunity um, in terms of funding people with different perspectives and different ideas. And, you know, I'm a, a woman of Pakistani origin. Um, you know, there's not many of us in Silicon Valley um, and very few controlling uh, capital. Um, and so as a woman of color, you know, can I look at things differently? Can I help bring entrepreneurs um, into the fold who perhaps otherwise wouldn't have had a shot to build something? That's amazing. What an amazing story. Coming from Pakistan to actually having your own venture fund is quite a feat. Um, are you able to share some stories of, of some of the startups you've funded? Sure, sure. I'll share one that, um, uh, that I'm very excited about. So um, it's a startup called Lucy, and uh, it's essentially helping reimagine the workplace for working parents. Um, so we know today that millennials are starting to have children. Um, they're no longer living next to mom and grandma, and they are working more and more. Um, and to kind of make it all work, um, 
they are relying on a range of uh, services. So they're booking things like nutritionists, doulas, lactation consultants, sleep coaches. Um, and there's no central marketplace to help evaluate your needs and then match you with vetted professionals. Um, so Lucy aims to be that marketplace, but it's starting out with a B2B approach, um, helping companies better serve working parents. So today, 90% of working of, of new mothers will return to the workforce within a year, but they'll more often than not change companies. Um, and a lot of that is because there's a lot of shame um, and discomfort in that period of um, having a child and becoming a new parent where you're juggling uh, more than it's humanly possible, particularly in a country where there's very little maternity and fraternity leave. And, uh, you know, mothers have always been America's greatest subsidy. The workplace has been designed with the assumption that the man will work, the, the woman will be at home raising the children. Um, and so as you start to shift that, you have companies like Facebook that are now paying for egg freezing. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Um, I have like three minutes left and I have two other very important questions for you. That's amazing. Okay, if you can send a link for Lucid, we'll, we'll make sure that it goes in the after the, the posting of this recording. Um, two things. Uh, you are an immigrant. You are an entrepreneur. What do you think about the startup visa? I think that it's a no-brainer. You know, I think that um, there's no good argument against it. It's something that makes sense from a bipartisan position. Um, you know, I came to this country... Uh, not because I didn't have other options. I could have, frankly, gone anywhere. Um, I came here because I believe that the best and the brightest come here to pursue their dreams and that the right conditions exist to make that happen. And that's no longer the case. If you can't get a visa to build your company here, you are going to go somewhere else. So we're treating the best and the brightest in the world very poorly, and we're essentially creating a reverse blender, right? We're educating them in our universities, uh, and then we're saying, uh, we can't keep you, so go build jobs in other countries. And so it makes no sense from, from a selfish national, nationalist perspective. We're essentially educating people and then sending them to other countries to create jobs there. Um, and I really hope that, that we can get something passed around a startup visa soon. Um, because I don't see any any uh, plausible objection to it. Well, wonderful. It's music to my ears. And you are actually um, a proponent of uh, I- the startup visa, but you are doing a lot for immigrant entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, we have such little time left. In just a few words, what are your thoughts on the U.S. immigration system? Um, you know, I think that America has always been the place people have come to pursue their dreams. And I think that that's Changing, and I think if that changes, America will lose its competitive edge in the world. I was just in Canada, and I was meeting with entrepreneurs who had come to the U.S. from all around the world. They had taken part in prestigious startup accelerators, and then they had realized that the visa risk was too high, and they had been paid, um, poached by Canada to relocate. So Canada is essentially saying, you know, here is the welcome map. Please come to our country. And America's saying, uh, we don't want you. And it, and it just makes no sense. And so I see that shift of talent happening. Um, and I think that if we don't, you know, but now we're, we still have a little bit of an edge because for so long we've been the place that people come and it's a very large economy. Um, but if we don't do something now, that can shift very, very quickly. And, you know, the American dream may very well become the Canadian dream or the French dream or many of the other countries that are now realizing the importance of giving visas to exceptional just entrepreneurs. Very profound. If we don't do something quickly, 
the shift will happen sooner than we expect and other countries will have the actual competitive edge and we're losing it. Shiza Shahid, thank you so much for joining us. Sh- thank you for sharing such profound words, but sharing your story about the Malala Fund as well as Now Ventures. Good luck with everything and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you and thank you for the great work you do. Uh, we need more people um, doing what you do. Appreciate um, it, appreciate it. Thank you. Take Thank care. you so much, Shiza. Bye-bye for now. Listeners, that was Shiza Shahid, who is the founder of Malala, co-founder of Malala Fund, as well as Now Ventures, who is on our show right now. Um, the show will be repeated on Friday at 8 p.m., as well as the on SoundCloud soon, so please tune in. And we will have a special show on Dhaka next Tuesday, September 12th at 10 a.m. If you have questions, make sure you Facebook us Um, before the show. Take care. Bye-bye.